Hi, this is Andy McDonald, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's episode, I speak to the incredibly open and honest Ed Lee, the rehab and strength and conditioning coach at Harlequins Rugby. On this episode, Ed very generously deconstructs the Harlequins approach to strength and conditioning with absolute transparency. If you've been enjoying the podcast, then please get behind us and subscribe or share the show amongst your network. The better supported we are, the easier it is for us to continue providing what we're doing. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this very open conversation from Ed Lee and myself on the Quinn's way of doing things. Hi Ed, uh, thanks for giving up some time and coming on the show today. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me on. Just for the listeners' benefit, could you uh, just outline your background and what you've done and where you are now? Yeah, of course. Um, so about, about 10, 11 years ago, I did... Um, a full-time internship at Harlequins Rugby. Um, so that was my first exposure completely to any form of strength and conditioning. I had a sports science degree from um, Cardiff University, well, formerly UIC, but Cardiff University. Um, and at the time, I actually had no idea really that this position or this job existed. I just thought rugby players, I was very naive. I just thought rugby players did it themselves. Um, and then I actually was towards the end of my university career or uh, degree, sorry, i I met um, a couple of the strength coaches that looked after our um, team and kind of got me interested in it. I still didn't think I wanted to do it as a job. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, so I kind of took a bit of time out um, and then actually ended up um, working as a personal trainer at Fitness First and got offered um, from there um, an internship with Harlequins. They were Fitness First were opening up a facility that Harlequins were going to. Um, and I kind of, I, I must say, I went into it fairly blasé. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll give this a go. This I'm really interested in fitness. I'm a big rugby fan. Um, I'll, I'll see how this goes. And about two or three months in, I was, I was hooked, and I knew this is what I wanted to do as a job. So I did a, a full year with them, so a full season. Then uh, finished with them. I was wildly underexperienced. That was my first year, so I didn't even at the end, I didn't even approach. Um, any of the coaches there to ask for a job I just thought right this is my chance to go off and now with this small amount of experience on them about go and get a decent job um, in strength and conditioning so I then um, <laughs> I had maybe like a four or five month sabbatical where I did a fight camp for um, a fighter in Bellator um, sorry Bama so which is the UK like a very a lower level UK version of the UFC um, and the fight camp went amazing and then he got knocked out in 30 seconds so that was um that was kind of that was me thinking right mma is maybe not the the sport i want to be involved in um and then literally two days after that happened i um applied for a job at london broncos um as the lead for their academy strength and conditioning got that job which was brilliant so did two two and a half years or two and a half seasons sorry there as lead for the academy and assistant for the seniors um, and then during the third year, I got offered a role, um, just a, a one season, so like an eight-month role in New Zealand for a rugby team called Northland, so in the ITM Cup, which is the provincial cup that the players go into after the Super Rugby, um, as an assistant under a guy called Tim Hurst, who is now um, Waikato, had a performance, and did eight months there. Um, and I was getting towards the end of that, and then I got offered a job at back at Harlequins um, as head of academy snc um from 20s down so not the senior academy but just from 20s down um so took that and literally spent maybe one season as the academy um snc and then moved up into the seniors and now it's been 
seven years or so at Harlequin. So yeah, so I'm in my seventh season, sixth season, six or seven, it all blends into one. Um, and so now I am um, co-lead uh, with Gaz Tong, who's our head of performance, co-lead of the, the back speed, power and strength development, along with um, a guy called James Wild, who programs our speed. Um, and then I run the long-term injured for all the backs. So essentially anybody that's injured for longer than six weeks, um, I take them on from there. So yeah, that's where I'm at. And had you stayed in touch with Harlequins when you were off, you know, working with fighters and working in New Zealand? Were you, were you regularly in contact with the club anyway? I mean, yeah, I, I was really fortunate that actually I made some very good friends during the, the internship. Um, and uh, Gaz, who, Gaz Tong, who was um, an assistant strength coach at the time, I stayed in contact with him and the head of performance at the time, who was a guy called John Dams, and they moved through. So when the position came available, I think... They, had, they they obviously want somebody in that they can trust and then you could do a decent job. So then that's where that came from. And as you know, within this industry, it's all about who you know as well. So that I was fairly fortunate with that. So, yeah. It sounds like you've got quite a similar um, sort of entry into the industry. I mean, I, I interned, well, I worked in the fitness industry and then interned yeah. at Bristol Rugby quite a few years ago. Um, yeah. You're, you know, you're, you've still got your, you're still in the scene. And how, how does it work now for, if you like, aspiring strength coaches who are maybe students and want to get a job as a full-time club S&C in rugby? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is a brutal industry to be in. I mean, you, I mean, you just need to go onto um, Twitter and you see everybody shouting and um, tweeting about pay and how hard it is to be in the industry. And it, and it is just, it's a tough industry to be in. It's, um, it seems like there's there's two two ends to it. You can the personal training is it to me, and I was I was chatting to a couple of my colleagues the other day about it. It seems that personal training seems to be a fallback option of a career for most people. So if you see a lot of PTs that just kind of oh, it will be quite an easy thing to get into. Um, uh, but strength and conditioning is just not an easy thing to get into. So I think they they see they think it goes in hand in hand. So just personal training and strength and conditioning go together, well within rugby or within uh, sports. Sorry. But it's just such a brutal environment. I mean, we've we have internships every year, um, and they're uh, they're amazing. The interns that we have, they're really good. Especially we got one this year, Filippo. Um, he came over from Italy, um, and the previous year we had a guy um, or a couple of years back, come over. It was a guy called Ren, who is now um, uh, an assistant academy strength coach, and he gave up a full time job in Italy to come over and pursue a career in strength conditioning within the UK. I mean, these these guys are given up huge, like massive sacrifices, and these guys have family and kids uh, to get into the industry. So it's a it's a tough place to be at the moment. Um, but I also don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You, it just shows that it weans out the people that do, really don't want to be here. Um, but then it also means that you have to be on top of your game the whole time. You can't have a bad season you can't have a bad month it's uh, especially when the rugby is becoming more and more like football each and every year um so there's there is that worry that if you if you don't know your stuff you don't perform the team don't perform because essentially that's all that matters you could be the best strength coach in the world but if the team doesn't perform then you could be out the door um because as we all know fitness is the easiest thing to blame for a loss or not doing very well so um I, it's, it's a tough industry but i think it's it's tough and it's good um, so that's kind of where my head's at with it. And you mentioned that you look after a lot of the long-term injured players. Um, yeah. How, how does that? What does that look like? Because you you're doing that from the S and C perspective rather than the physio perspective. Um, yeah. how, how does that kind of whole thing get packaged between you and the physios? 
so we um we're we're really fortunate we've got our physiotherapy team and our strength and conditioning team as a whole we work really well together we've had in the past it hasn't been as good as this but we've got two heads of department a guy called mike lancaster who's come from uh the giants in the afl and obviously gaz tong and they, they they gel really well they are kind of thought processes aligned it's it's not exactly the same because you wouldn't really want that um but then within that we have a physio um guy called elliot clark who his whole sole job is to look after the long-term injured um from date of injury to return date um and so his he as soon as myself and the guy that looks after the the forwards long-term injured as soon as a back or a forward is injured we sit down straight away as soon as we know what they what the issue is um and then we outline their plan from there um and actually this has now been going for a couple of years now this process it sounds really simple but prior to it it was a little bit messy in terms of who did what and who was looking after who and it was it was hard but now actually the, the process is pretty um pretty streamlined and we've we sit the player down as well so that they know exactly what they're doing because that's that's also half the battle you need to educate this player and need to understand that you have to treat them like adults and they're not just these athletes that these objects you just look after and get back they're in this fairly emotional state anyway where they're it's a bizarre one because they're they're getting paid to not do their job so you have to you have to let them know each and every step, and it's not not you're not walking through, you're not babying them, but you just. I, I only really know rugby players, but I imagine the majority of athletes are fairly similar. They want to know what direction, what route they're taking. Um, so, us as strength coaches and physios, we've we've got together in Quinns, and it's it's a fairly streamlined process now where we we sit down as a group, and it's a, a no hindsight philosophy so we sit down with everybody not just the long-term injured strength coaches or physios we sit down with everybody in the performance team we're like right this is a let's say grade two hammy what how have we done this in the past why did it not work why did it work really well and um, what are the issues we could be facing with the with the player individually as well and also with just the actual injury in terms of have we seen 10 or 11 of them or have we never seen a single one of them before and then we hash it out all there and then it's a, if you haven't said anything prior to it, it, we don't really enjoy the, oh, well, I told you so, or I would have done it like this. We're like, well, why didn't you say at the very beginning? So actually we get this whole process sorted there and then, and then it runs really smoothly. So um, from our side, that's how, that's how we do it at Quinn's. Yeah. And how early on are you involved in the, the process? You know, obviously like day one of the injury, they get, you know, yeah. screened or assessed by the by the physio. How early on are you typically working with these athletes? I'm sure that depends on the injury and you know case by case. Uh, but I mean, I mean, yeah, it does depend. But also, I'll be you. You probably, if you spoke to Elliot, you'd probably agree that you just would just nag them all the time to just try and do something with the players because um, it's an opportunity for them to progress on. Like the the injured side. So let's say it's a lower body injury. These, especially with the backs, a lot of them struggle to maintain their upper body mass. So the second they can, depending if it's a, um, a like a full surgery, they might not be allowed to sweat for a long time, or if it's just a healing process, then we might be able to get them in the gym for a bit. But their their general weekly load or activity goes down, so just so low compared to what they normally do. So if our guys are covering twenty five to thirty k a week and um, doing three or four weight sessions and just generally being on feet a lot, they go from that to possibly doing nothing at all so 
and I don't, I, that doesn't sit well with me in an injury process. I want to try and keep that activity as high as possible or as close to that, um, as close to their previous activity levels as possible. So as soon as the, the players can do something, whether it, even if it's just um, three upper body weight sessions a week and um, some kind of fairly moderately low intensity ab circuits or just, just something to keep your activity levels up and keep them engaged, I think the sooner you can do that, the better. So I will, as soon as that's possible, I'll jump on the back of those physios and get them to hand them over to us. Um, so assuming there's no kind of, you know, like you said, surgical uh, contraindications post-op, yep. are you, do you find the injury can become like an opportunity where you, you can set targets and push their performance in other areas that you wouldn't have yeah. really had the time to? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I'd probably say the two, the first, within the first two or three weeks, the players will always sit down um, in probably three meetings. So the first one will be with myself and we'll sit down and outline with outline where I think they're going. And also I think it is, I think it is key to ask them where they, that what, if there are any issues that they want to um, not issues, if there are any um, uh, areas that they'd like to push on within their physical performance. Um, so it's, if there's, if they say there are, oh, this is my chance to get on top of a, sh- a nagging shoulder injury that even though it's a lower body injury that they're coming back from, this is their chance to, they say they've always had some nagging shoulder injuries. So this is our chance to really get on top of that. They'd also sit down with our head of conditioning, a guy called Tom Batchelor, and go through the, the off-feet goals. So we have a few, a few tests that we're, we're currently actually getting a list together so we can actually have some decent tests in, um, involved. So as soon as the players get injured, what can they do in terms of, as I was saying earlier, activity levels? Um, what fitness tests can they do? Whether it is just a standing grinder or whether it's a ski erg or if it's lower body, whether they can do a, a watt bike. They have some non-running non-rugby related conditioning goals so lay that out for them early doors and then they sit down with our nutritionist guy called ted munson and go through obviously what as i as i keep saying and you can you probably tell it's a big thing for me their activity levels drop right down so that changes that needs to um, be replicated within their diet as well Um, and then also their body composition so where are they this is an opportunity to push it on or are we looking to maintain levels that they've got to we've had a, a center recently um who has just been just got injured he's out until march and he got himself into a really really good position and he'll probably he'd, he'd say it himself that his body composition probably hasn't been his his forte as of recently uh, but he got himself in a great great position then got injured and actually one of the first things we spoke to him about is look you you are where we wanted you to be body composition wise let's make this a real big target for you to maintain this throughout your injured period um so that's that's kind of as early i think i've answered the question i might have gone off on a massive tangent um but that's as early as uh, we'd get them in in the first week or so and just sit them down with as many people as possible and just it's, it's mainly for them i think so that they understand that it's it's an important thing for everybody to get them back in the best shape possible not just something that they again they're just another object for us and we're just pushing them through this turnstile we're just trying to make everything as individual as possible um and i'd like to i'd like to think that most clubs do that i i don't know so <laughs> i mean it's interesting isn't it because i think probably the athletes uh assuming they haven't been injured too much before with serious injuries their first thought is probably just how long am i going to be doing nothing or how long am i going to be off legs for exactly. not, not playing rugby but if you're on their case with with targets straight away then it probably you know yeah keeps their motivation oh, so, yeah I've, we we had uh, one of our top wingers 
last April. He had um, ACL hamstring injury, put him out. He's still out now. He'll probably return in March, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, and one of the big things for us has just been getting him to do sessions off-site. So not necessarily always coming into the Harlequins gym. So we've been contacting gyms around London, uh, around Guildford, um, and a place around where he lives and just get him into different environments and, um, and have different coaches take him. So one of our, um, one of our sports rehabilitators, a girl called Chloe, she's, um, she boxes, she's an amateur boxer. So giving it, giving this winger over to, um, to Chloe to take him through boxing sessions, just something that he wouldn't normally experience within the normal schedule if he was fit and healthy. I think that's, that's a big thing because it is being injured can be unbelievably monotonous. Um, especially if you've never been injured before, if you've been injured before it's, it's frustrating, but you kind of, you can get your head around it because you've, you've been through that position, but this, it can be brutal if you're out for six months or so. So just kind of, I think changing up and it doesn't always necessarily have to be in line with how is this relating back to your, um, getting you back to playing rugby. Sometimes they just need a complete break from it. Um, and yeah, that's a that's a big part of the injury process for us is making sure that it's enjoyable and not monotonous for those guys. In, in America, the the leagues kind of have windows where the players have very restricted access to the facility if they can even go there at all. Um, yeah. So the players here, there's a lot of private facilities, and it's it's normal for the players to have their own guys in the off season. Um, yeah. For whether that's you know therapy or whether that's strength and conditioning. Are you, I know you can't speak for everyone, but are you seeing a growing trend in in UK sport and maybe rugby where athletes are going to other 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 facilities um, privately? Yeah, we we have a few players actually who go and see um, uh, men and women outside of of Quinns for even if it's massage or it's extra speed work and and initially I think three or four years ago we were fairly hesitant towards that. Um, we it was probably an ego driven thing for us. Um, but actually now, as long as the person who they're going to go and see isn't doing anything crazy, uh, it's not the end of the world. So I think, yeah, I think you will see and you, you are seeing, well, I can only speak for Harlequins, guys going and getting, um, I'd use expertise loosely, but you know what I mean? They'd go and see other people outside of Quins. Um, and I, I, it, to me, it's not the end of the world. Um, and our players are fairly open about it. They will ask us. Um, so I don't know any of the players that have snuck off to see somebody and you'd soon find out anyway, cause our weekly demands on players pretty high. So if they go from not being too tired and performing well to just looking absolutely knackered, you'd have a chat with them and you'd probably soon find out that, that they're doing a lot more outside. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you'll, you'll only see it increase. Um, and I, I wouldn't say it'd be too far until some guys, especially the higher paid ones who can have more of a say probably. Um, would probably approach clubs if they're, say, transferring to a new club and say, look, actually, I've got this physio or I've got this strength coach that I see all the time. I'd like to continue seeing them and it might be written into their contract. I don't, I don't think we're overly far away from seeing that happen within rugby. Um, people might disagree, but that's kind of the vibe I'm getting at the moment. And um, I'm just curious because I know you've got quite a big interest in strength and power. Um Bit of, yeah. a, bit of a segue topic but and it's also not surprising that's one of your interests because you work in rugby um yeah with regards to kind of the injured players do you have yeah. sort of like an approach that you personally like to use for strength and power diagnostics in trying to piece together what that return to play is going to look like um I, yeah i guess it all depends on the the injured site 
as it were. So it's, um, I guess, upper body for, we don't really have any power diagnostics for or power tests for upper body because I don't think that's necessarily relevant for us. Um, if, for example, if a shoulder injury, we would use tests like the ASH test to see if they have the ability and the intent to produce power in a short period of time. But it's not necessarily something that we would be doing for the whole injured period. Um, lower body wise though we i mean we've we've got three tests that we would probably put the not probably we've got three tests that we put our our players through um a hip extension force test which is essentially the players lying supine underneath a, a fixed barbell hips at 140 degrees heel is um one leg is off the ground one heel is on a force plate um, and they try and produce as much force into that force plate as possible over a three second period so it's just showing the strength of the hip extensors in a in a fairly sprint specific position not necessarily i mean i think some people get confused and think it's a hamstring test it's not it's a test of the hip extensors um and we can play around with the play around with the angles to make it more hamstring dominant less hamstring dominant um, so I'd use that, for example, if somebody was coming back from a hamstring injury, you'd look, you'd look at that, especially with the backs who are that being in a fairly sprint specific position, that's going to be key for them for returning, being able to um, move at high speeds. We also use um, a temp jump RSI, so single leg and uh, bilateral. Um, and that's just essentially just showing us the stiffness qualities in and around the ankle and the calf and the Achilles, that area. Um, and then the last one we use is a, a squat jump test. So it's weighted over um, the barbell, em, empty barbell, 20, 40, 60 kilos. Um, and that just shows us what we get from that jumping within the, the opto jump is the jump height, the velocity of the jump, the force produced and the power produced. Then we put that together and we can see a um, almost like a force power deficit. Um, and then from there, using those three, we can put together just – um a leg strength and power um test and then that that gives us um almost a menu to see where the players are lacking if they're lacking uh, we don't always see that um so they're the probably the, the the three that i would say lower body wise for for strength and power that we would use within the injured process and that will come at very times so um if somebody can start earlier than perfect if not we just wait till the end and then that's that's it's very task driven for us with our return to play criteria and those three would probably in terms of lower body wise they would probably be up there with the most important three we'd have within the the injured process yeah thanks and uh, something that springs to mind actually is you know years ago when i worked in rugby there wasn't the same use of tech in testing as there is now whether that yeah. was at the beginning of the season or whether that was for injured players um and at the time, everybody was using a lot of um, movement screens, for a better word. Depending, yeah. on what, you know, obviously there's different styles of test, but that was what people were using a lot. Are they still used much in rugby, or has everything shifted a lot more technological that you've that you've seen? Um, yeah, do you know what I? Th- I think it, it, it shifted to a fairly technological biased environment, but I don't necessarily think it's. We definitely don't overuse it. It's not that we. For example, we have a Nord board, so we don't, but that's not always used with hamstring injuries. But we, it might be used in some cases. We might not always use the, the hip extension test. We might not always use the RSI. So I think there's technology is available for us, um, but we don't hang our hat on every single one. We Again, as I mentioned earlier, when we sit down in this in the meeting with all the performance team, we look at, especially from a, an S&C point of view, 
probably two or three markers for the players to use when they return or for us to use to help the players return. Um, and we'd look at two or three. Not, I, I just personally think if you if you have 10 or so exercises or 10 or so bits of kit that you're saying, right, we're going to use all of this in the return process, I think there's just some there's some issues within that that you might not always get back to the original state. You might not always get to where you want, but that might not always mean that the guy's not ready to play rugby. Um, so, yes, in answer to your question, yes, I think it is moving definitely towards um, us as an industry using technology a lot more. But I think that's just because that's the way of the world. The world is using more technology. It's not necessarily just our industry. And I think everything can be recorded more now. And I think it's good. I think it's allowing us to be a lot more subjective um, with actually how we return the players. Um, so yes, I think it is being more more technology driven, but I don't necessarily think that's a that's a bad thing as such. And very open endedly, what's your kind of approach personally to how you develop a modern rugby player from a strength and power perspective? I don't necessarily think you could probably just look at it as just developing a modern player just around strength and power. I think actually, if you if you were to look at mine or Harlequin's approach in general to preparing the play, you'd probably get the answer for the strength and power question. Um, and I think actually it, it all comes down to, to tolerance um, and whether that's tolerance of load, um, tolerance of sessions. It, you, you need to know what your end scenario or end goal is. So say you're looking at uh, pre-season, you might know that towards the end you want the, the backs or the forwards to be able to tolerate X amount of rugby sessions or X amount of unit sessions or X amount of speed or weights, whatever it is, it comes down to a question of tolerance. Um, and then from there, you work it back. And then you look at what qualities will help you or allow you to reach that goal. If you took speed training, for example, you'd, you'd start your first couple of sessions would be fairly minimal. You'd start to look at trying to increase the magnitude of the ground reaction force that you're producing. So we'd start off with smaller jump series um, taking them from bilateral to unilateral and you can it doesn't literally have to be week one week two week three that might progress over day one day two day three and you just slowly increase that that would then allow you or those sessions would then allow you to increase the rate at which you produce that ground reaction that in turn would then decrease the inappropriate tissue loading um, it would enhance dynamic joint stability and control and then you'd look to start building sprint and change direction, change direction specific tissue tolerance. And then when once you start piling them all on top of each other and you start exposing them to longer distances, so starting with 10, 20, 30, you can see how you can slowly increase this player's ability to get up to that end goal or reach that end stage that you, you desire within their preparation for the season. And then taking it back into the gym probably covering the, the strength and power question at the beginning. Um, in my view, that no one exercise trumps anything else. Um, and for us, I know that we, that we work with a rotation of bilateral lifts. So some guys can't always squat, and there's, we're definitely not married to the squat as well. Um, so we might use a belt squat with them. We might use a leg press. It doesn't necessarily matter. I think it is key to get a decent amount of force through the legs bilaterally um, and then the rotation of um, single leg work so whether that's the rotation of hamstring work that we do so we might go with um, we go through range 
hip extension, we might go knee dominant, we might go hip dominant. Um, so we would utilize exercises such as Nordic curls, single leg hip extensions on glute ham. We'd, we'd use the more basic exercises such as RDLs. Um, and then we'd go through step ups. We'd go through single leg leg press. It's, for us, it's just the, the rotation of the exercises, exposing players to different strengths and different ranges. And then the, if you're looking at the upper body, for me, that's even more of a, a simple answer. These, these guys need to have the muscle mass around to be able to deal with the amount of contact they're going to be doing towards the end of preseason and definitely within season. And some of the guys just need extra sessions here and there to, to maintain that size. Um, but again, we rotate the exercises, we horizontal, vertical, push, pull, um, and then working a lot around the shoulder and a lot around the upper back. Um, and as I said, this it's a game of mass and it's a game of size. Um, so you need to be having positive collisions and positive contacts. Um, so then body weight comes into it. And then that's where once you've, you've got all the weight room stuff sorted, that's where the nutritionist comes, it, comes into play. And that's where the guys would sit down with Ted Munson, um, our nutritionist, and work out the, the best way to maintain a positive size for the guys because just just lump size is no good for anybody because fat's not doing anything for you so it's you need to be carrying decent muscle decent size into these collisions um, to have a positive effect and help the team out and I think once you've got all of those systems in place you've got a pretty decent preparation for a modern day rugby player now ask me again in a year's time in the game would have completely changed and might might have a completely different philosophy. And also, there's there'll be lots of things that I haven't mentioned, but it, it that question alone could turn into a, a half an hour answer. Um, but I think it just, as I said at the very beginning of this question, I think it comes down to knowing what the player needs to tolerate, and whether that's pre-season, in-season, knowing what is the the demand for them, and then working back from there. No, 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 completely. You know, when you're in pre-season, it's probably more normal to have. Um, clearly identified phases of training, whether that's you know hypertrophy, strength, power, and how you progress through those. Um, when you're in say mid-season and you're rotating the lifts, what prompts you to change the lift, if you like, from say a squat to a deadlift? Is it when you see a plateau, or do you have um, you know arbitrary timeframes that you keep those lifts in rotation for? Uh, to be honest, it's arbitrary timeframes. It's not that um, there's any plateaus as such that are reached for our guys. Um, we definitely now don't take the standpoint of the season is just maintaining. Um, I don't, I really don't like that one. We say that they use preseason to build the, build the muscle and the strength and the power. And then in season, it's just maintaining. Um, I think now we, we try and consistently push people on. And that's why I think the, we, we tend to use five to six week periods. And that's just so that Firstly, you're not going to plateau in five or six weeks, I don't think, unless you're starting a week one, you're maxing out and you're trying to do each week. You're not going to plateau in five or six weeks. So actually, it allows them to just really slowly progress, still lifting some decent decent weight and then just consistently changing. And also, don't forget, these guys are in a, a 40, 42-week season. So if you were to stick them on the, the squat for 12 to 20 weeks straight, that would probably be quite boring for them. So it's there's also the... the the um the variety aspect that 
comes into play when we're thinking about programming. So not necessarily it doesn't always has to be have to be um, research driven or journal driven. It's actually comes down to these players are going to get really bored. So let's just rotate around. Um, and the and the lifts are chosen with specific um, ideas in mind. So we don't just be like, oh, let's just pick out these lower body lifts. It's we we think about what's going to be helpful for us. For example, we might use a high box step up with eyes. Um, aren't exposed to deep flexion with uh, bilaterally or unilaterally. So we'd use a high box step up, especially with, I know we've used it in the past with locks with the guys with who are really tall, who actually, if they're going to squat, they'd struggle to get that deep and get strength training in that range. So then a, a single leg high box step up will be used for them and might be rotated. Then we might go back to a, a single leg leg press where we wouldn't necessarily worry too much about range, but it would just be about getting as much load through the leg as possible in the best range possible. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the thought process behind the the rotation. So you've got a pretty flexible approach as to what lifts and why each player has. Um... Oh, 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 definitely. I mean, there's there's some guys that just won't touch the squat. They can't. I think um, some of them would um, just loading up their spine. They they might have previous back injuries, their hip injuries, and it, like there will be some guys that won't do certain lifts. So a lot of our um, a lot of our front row will have toe issues. So doing a split squat won't be the best. So maybe a Bulgarian split squat where the rear foot's elevated is the best for them. So they just, maybe their their exercise menu is a bit smaller. But we we do try to rotate a lot of guys um, on certain lifts. I think, so, yeah. I think the industry's moved on now, hasn't it, from there being lifts that you absolutely have to do for a sport. Oh, God, yeah, oh, definitely. I was, um, I, was, I was chatting to actually... Uh, an ex England female player this morning. And I think I might be doing a bit of training with her. And she was, she was worried when she was telling me what she was doing. She said that she was worried she can't squat anymore. And she's, she's worried she can't snatch. And I was like, you're, you're 33 years old. I mean, I, you, you're going to be doing well to be getting to 33 in professional rugby and not have any issues and be able to do all exercises. I mean, 90% of our guys probably couldn't clean because of the wrist injuries they have or the shoulder injuries. So I don't, I think it's, uh, I think as a strength coach going into it, you'd like to think you could throw this battery of exercises at players and they can do everything and anything. But I think realistically, you're going to be changing day to day most most exercises. I mean, that's <laughs> the majority of our Monday is spent talking to players when they come into the gym and finding what they can and can't do. So, I mean, if you go in there with this idea that it's going to be in this nice linear progression of these 15 different exercises throughout the year, I mean, you're harshly mistaken. <laughs> So um, for your players that are on um, the international books, how, yeah. how how much sort of influence do the international S&C coaches have on their program year round? Um, I'd like to say none, but there's there's an influence in terms of it's just the England or the Eddie Jones influence. Um, and that's not a, that's not a bad thing. But you'd players if, if you go up to a young player and Eddie Jones has told him that he needs to be quicker or bigger. He's not going to turn around and go. Well, Quinns don't believe that. So, I mean, there's there's got to be a bit of push and pull from both sides. They they wouldn't sit that their strength and conditioning coaches wouldn't sit down with our head of performance and such and say like this is exactly what we want them to do because it's not a centrally contracted sport at the moment within within England. Um, so they don't have much say in terms of what the players do. They definitely have a say in how the players think. So they will definitely chat to them and say, look, this needs to be improved. You're not going to. Oh, um, maybe the, the strength coaches wouldn't be as harsh as to say you're not going to play for England if this doesn't improve but they'd definitely give them a hard time in certain areas um, 
and uh, hey, you can't you can't blame them for that, and you can't blame the players for wanting to listen to them and improve. But essentially, the the physical preparation of the players driven and led by Harlequins. Yeah. So yeah, and I'm sure you've got probably quite a good relationship with England because it's because you know, of the proximity. But do you do you have relationships with many other international S and C coaches for similar reasons? Um, yeah. If you, uh, t- to be honest, I don't have a huge amount of contact with the England strength coaches. It's all it's definitely above my pay grade. Um, so it's it, I don't have a huge amount. I, I would chat to them every so often. I know that the, the ex S and C for England a guy called Dean Benton was came in and spent a lot of time with players such as Mike Brown um, and Danny Kerr. And he seemed to put a lot of effort in and the players really liked that and respected that. And I think he's now Australia. Um, but in terms of other countries, it all kind of depends on the players we have. So I know we've, I've had a few conversations with some Fijian coaches and Samoan coaches, but I guess it depends on who we have in our squad. Um, I mean, ideally you'd want in a squad, you want, guys that are on the verge of internationals but not playing international because then you'd never lose them um but at the moment it tends to just be the england snc that um our coaches higher up have a bit more um, contact with yeah i'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit mate um Mm. on like a a day-to-day basis let's just say kind of mid-season um what the kind of bigger what the kind of bigger challenges that you face as an snc coach working in rugby um do you know what? I probably wouldn't. Say, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it's it's too tough of a job in terms of challenges. It's if well, I guess three or four years ago, probably had you asked me this, I would have probably given you this answer and have been a bit more frantic in terms of we wouldn't have had a system set in place. But day to day, it's just making sure a the right players are on the pitch to train. You don't always need to force them out onto the field. Like it's just it's the Saturday that counts. Um, having said that you need the numbers on the field to train. Um, so making sure the players are fit and ready. And also sometimes you can get them on the field and get through training because you need the numbers there. So for us, making sure that we choose the right things to do in the gym and on speed work is the most important thing. It's, uh, I wouldn't say there are too many other challenges as such. Um, I'd like to say that I'm running around and it's all frantic and um I'm juggling loads, lots of lots of different balls, but I mean, actually, at the moment, it's we've got a really nice system in place where at the, in the morning we meet with the physios and we talk through any short-term injured players and any issues we think we might have with players going into that day, whether they're non-contact, whether they're full contact, whether actually today he's going to be what we would call load managed, so maybe he wouldn't do any running, he might not do any extra fitness that we do after training, um, and then it also depends on the day of the week because we structure our training around three set days. So we have a build on a Monday, which is building from the weekend. You'll see a pattern in here where all the, all the names of the day. So building from the weekend, and we, and we look back at how the Saturday and Sunday went, and it's very low level. So in terms of effort, perceived effort, it would be around 30%. Um, and then on the Tuesday, it would be what we'd call a fast session, or the second day of training would be a fast session. So the rest periods are higher, but each period – within rugby is done at full pace not necessarily a huge amount of contact and then again that's replicated in um, the strength work that we do so with the backs that's their probably one of their main days for speed with us whether that's in a, a linear based environment or whether that's actually we put it into a game specific environment prior to rugby so we might do some one-on-ones we might do some if it's with the back three they might do some catch and then um, counter-attack with some 
at least 30 or 40 meters of max velocity work. Um, and then within the sideline conditioning on that Tuesday, if the guys aren't involved in a rugby, it would all be based around trying to get that high meters per minute, high speed running. Um, and then the third day of training um, is what we'd call a hard. And it's probably fairly obvious what that's going to be. That's is a decent amount of contact. It's a lot of off the ground work. So again, anybody that's off a couple of plays, he'd be doing a lot of contact, a lot of down ups or burpees, whatever one, anybody wants to call them. Um, and actually think, probably thinking about getting a higher volume of running, maybe not a huge amount more, but the high speed work wouldn't be as, um, as important for us. Not that we neglect it, but that probably wouldn't be, um, a main focus. And then in the gym, that would most likely be where they'd get their upper body day. And so you don't want to take a huge amount out of their legs. Cause we know that the rest periods are going to be short within rugby. Um, and then that's, that's in terms of the, the physical preparation of the week, that would be where we would end. And then they have a day off and then on the Friday it goes into a far, um, into a, a sharpen. So almost an old school captain's run as well. So that's minimal, minimal work. Then it's the game. So that's kind of, as a, I, I know I've gone off on a tangent, but day to day, the challenges aren't huge. Um, and I think that's because we've got a decent process set, set in play. Um, so, but that's, that's kind of how the week is structured. And you can see that now that we've, we've done uh, two years under Paul Gustard now with that, that structure of training and it actually makes it very simple and easy to to coordinate the the physio and the snc departments day by day yeah it sounds like the systems are a lot more um uh, predictable to some extent and robust i think the american sports have a hard well some of the american sports are like a traveling circus i think they have a hard job um coordinating everything and delaying yeah. certain days of their weekly plan and then you know another week a game just gets chucked in on them and um yeah, and and sometimes um, is if we go from a Sunday to a Friday game, the week's going to change. So I guess I guess you would have you'd have challenges in terms of right, okay, how are we going to structure this? Are we going to say, look, there's no lower body sessions this week, and that's and that's not the end of the world. Again, we're not married to you always have to do a lower body lift or you always have to do an upper body lift. It's a long season. You'll get chances. Uh, are we we're really lucky that Paul Gustard rotates a lot of players, so. We know, for example, maybe we might have two or three, unless there's any major injuries, we might have two or three weeks with a guy where he's probably not going to play rugby um, at the weekend. So firstly, what are we going to do to keep his fitness levels up? But actually, secondly, this is a real good chance for us to get some decent strength work in. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, there, there are challenges in that, and it, but we are lucky that there is a, there's a fairly set structure. It can go a bit haywire. You throw a couple of losses in there and it might change a little bit, but all in all, ninety percent of the time, it it follows this set structure, which is good. And you you, you mentioned then the kind of differentiators between each day and each session in terms of uh, collisions, distance, speeds, accelerations. Um, are you kind of live on the data when they're doing those sessions, or do you have sports scientists at hand with you? Well, our head of sports scientist, who is also our head of condition, um, head of fitness or condition, whatever you want to call it, Tom Batchelor, he is he has it all live there. But we're all radioed up so for example if i'm the other side of the pitch running a guy or if i'm the other side of the pitch taking an injured player we we have constant feedback in terms of how far he's going so if if it's a return to rugby run for example actually i hate that term so if it's just a if it's just an injured run or a returning run then um i know that if i've got a volume of say three to four k or i want to hit get him to hit a certain top speed we can always just radio in and and batch will tell us straight straight away so it, it is live there and it's very easy for us to kind of 
coordinate and control what players do and do, do and don't do. And as I said at the beginning of the day, um, if we've decided that somebody is load managed, as we coined that term, um, then we we know exactly when they hit that that arbitrary number that we've chosen. Whether that's it might be dependent on the age of the player, the the injury, anything that is, we we can always get live feedback straight away. It's pretty sophisticated, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you you would within I I think in the general public, yes, it is sophisticated. And if you just you can get stuck in that process where you're like, oh, everybody must surely must have GPS and they must have this to be able to rely upon. And actually, when you speak to other strength coaches, maybe and say like the championship or um, just the gen, maybe other PTs there is fairly impressive. So yeah, it is. It is fairly sophisticated. Yeah. It's, it's good. And how much information do you guys are you able to collect on the guys away from the field? Because I know that really varies in sports and and team to team. Are you able to know their sleep in an in depth an in depth level or anything else like that, or is it kind yes. of as in, when they come in in the morning? Yeah, so we have every morning, um, every single morning. So Monday to Sunday, the guys fill out a wellness questionnaire. And it's how did you sleep, how sore are you feeling, and how ready are you feeling? And then from that, it just sparks conversations. Um, and then we, I mean, it, it took a while for us to understand how people scored themselves. Um, obviously, you can't just day one, if somebody says they had a bad sleep, you can't just jump on it and say, right, we need to sort, sort your sleep out because their bad sleep might be eight hours, whereas somebody else's bad sleep might be four hours. So you just it took us a while to kind of, get used to that process maybe six to seven months or so and now actually we just use it to spark conversations and it i guess actually relates back to your question earlier about technology and this is a an example of us using it but not relying on it so we use it to have chats and conversations with the players so for example if joe blog scores himself really low in readiness and really high in tiredness that would then allow me when he comes in i can start talking to him straight away and actually it might just be that he woke up feeling bad and actually now he's he's feeling a lot better so um that's how we that's how we know what vaguely know what you're never going to know fully know what the players do off feet um or sorry off off site um but that kind of is one of the the ways that we like to track it the, these guys also as well they get uh, some of the higher profile players are on feet a lot they have to go and do um appearances they might if they're injured during match day they might have to go and do box appearances they might go and see sponsors so it's um it's just you just have to talk to them i mean there's you can have all the technology in the world but if you don't speak to somebody it's never gonna never gonna get sorted yeah and i guess you you almost don't want to extend the technology and the monitoring uh too close to home for them because they've got to have life away from rugby as well oh 100 percent. a lot of these have young families and the last thing they want to be doing is filling out questionnaires 24 7 so it's that's why we try to make it as simple as possible it's on their phone every single one of them is going to wake up straight away and go on twitter and instagram or messages or whatever so why not spend literally two minutes filling out a questionnaire which then can help us massively um and i think what has helped is that when players in the past have said that they're feeling tired or they're not feeling good we've changed the day if it's needed so they it's not just and i think a lot of sports scientists and a lot of strength coaches get a decent amount of stick from players from just being data driven but um i think if if you use it wisely and use it to their advantage and it's actually has some effect on like you actually it feels like you're listening through the data as such then i think the players will massively buy into it yeah i haven't met any athletes well i haven't met many athletes yet that enjoy looking at microsoft excel 
Um, oh god jesus i I mean i i hate looking at microsoft excel so i imagine they do i mean you still get you still definitely get some coaches who live by excel and uh and hide behind it a little bit i think too much so it's it's nice to hear um that you've got everything at your disposal that you need but the relationships and the communication kind of trumps it yeah definitely i mean it's i i think we're fortunate that the actual club environment is a very open environment um, I know that there are definitely some clubs because I've, I've seen, I've been to a couple of clubs abroad and in the UK that it is closed shop with players and strength coaches. It's a very business relationship. Whereas I'd say we're friendly colleagues. That's probably the best way to put it. We're friendly. We're definitely not friend friends with the players. Like you wouldn't you probably wouldn't be going out with them as such, but it's, there's, they're not afraid to question or ask us and we're definitely not afraid to to call them out on certain things um so that that's we're really fortunate in that environment i mean hearing you say that actually and what you were saying earlier about um how the the rehab team is assembled around the player there seems like there's a lot of overlap with you guys between kind of this altis model of uh the performance uh, therapy triad where you've got the coach the therapist and the player in kind of equal measures yeah. related to each other oh definitely i think i mean first and foremost it's it's the player that's returning so we've I mean, we've got a lot of very outspoken players in our environment, so they're not afraid to say they do or don't believe this, or they they just question a lot, which is really good. At first, when I when I started the the long term rehab role, it it really uh, worried is the wrong wrong term, but they would question everything, and that made me question myself. And it wasn't actually that they didn't believe in it; they just very they're just very inquisitive. Um, which has actually made me a better coach because now when I plan and think I plan every single part of the training with the idea that they're going to ask a question about every single part of the training and I need to have a reason and it's made me a lot better coach because I now think about everything I used to I used to listen when I was a younger strength coach it's that sounds um uh kind of rude but I'm only 32 so when when I a couple a couple years ago when I was a strength coach I would have thought, God, I don't, I don't think about every single aspect of my training or every single aspect of programming. But now I genuinely do because I know that players will say, why am I doing this? Why the last week I was doing this and now I'm doing this? Why am I now running a week later instead of today when you said I was going to? And you need to have an answer for everything. Or sometimes you don't have an answer for everything and you let them know. You don't know why this has happened. You don't know why they're getting pain or you don't know why the run's not progressing as as quickly as you do so it's kind of i think you have to be confident in what what you're doing but also showing sometimes that you don't know what's going on is helpful as well i think it shows almost greater confidence to say you don't know why rather than try and blag it it's 100 yeah 100 Uh, you can see a mile off everybody can see if if somebody asks you a question and you just um blag your way through for five minutes talking you're like come on you just just say you don't know and they'll respect you a lot more yeah so. Yeah, because that reasoning could come back to haunt you if you uh, oh, if you're inconsistent definitely. with your reasoning as well. And nine times out of ten, when you give that answer, you probably forget the answer you've given. So uh, when when they don't forget, they they will question you on it. And it's it sounds to me like you probably get a ton of education from the way that your teams just set up multidisciplinary wise. Um, is there anywhere you kind of turn to or look for your continuing education or any resources that you use outside of Quinn's? Um, I mean, we, uh, Quinn's are very big on CPD, especially within the strength conditioning um, team. Um, our head, Gareth Tong, is massive on making sure we go out and 
um, go to other clubs or other sports. So actually, personally, I've been to I, when I when I took on the long term injury role, I tried to look around rugby and saw who had the best long term injured process. And actually, it fell on on Leinster Rugby. So I went and spent two or three days with Leinster Rugby with a guy called Dermot over there, who's their long term injured strength coach. And that was a real eye opener and a real a good kickstart for me in that in my new role. Um, and then outside of that, I visited GB Bobsleigh. I just look. I wanted to look around and say, like, what sports um, do you need to produce the most speed and most power? And I thought, well, Bobsleigh, they've got ten meters to push a heavy object as fast as they can, and then they sit down and they need to still maintain the weight per person because you have to have a set weight. Um, so I went to them and had a look at how they did things. And then uh, Altis is a big thing for us. We we've done a few of their speed courses. We're looking to hopefully go out there with a couple of our guys next year for some warm weather training in the fallow week um and then actually it's just about I, I reach out to a lot of strength coaches on instagram and on twitter and just ask questions i'm never i'm never afraid to ask questions to people so um so that's a big thing we're also unbelievably fortunate to have a guy called james wild who programs our speed so he he does the overview of speed and um and then we myself and gareth deliver the majority of it he will deliver some sessions but we're really fortunate he's probably one of the top speed coaches in the world um and we've got him looking over our speed program and programming it so that's that's a huge resource that's just literally next door to us so that's been a big help for me personally taking on this new role um so yeah i've been very fortunate do you guys still have adam bishop uh at the club? yeah he's he's yeah. still gaining weight daily he is um he's there he's head he's head of strength um, and then he programs for the for the forwards. So he is there. He's eating like a horse at the moment and trying to get ready for world's strongest man. Um, so yeah, he is grumpy as ever. I mean, that must get huge buy-in if you're a player trying to get strong and he's the, your strength coach. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, yeah, the player the players like it. I think he walks around lifting stuff. I mean, it's um, it's a it's a big thing for everybody, really. To be honest, I mean, having having him around is is good for the environment all the time and he's always competing it's always it's always good to see what he's lifting he's never never shy of a heavy lift or so i think he's got a decent deadlift i don't know what it is but it's decent um so yeah and i've heard i've heard on another podcast that you you were at some stage performing hundreds of pull-ups a day are you still are you still on that pursuit oh yeah i've got a weird obsession with pull-ups i don't know where that came from um uh yeah i probably died down a little bit mainly because my shoulder probably hurts more from doing hundreds of pull-ups. Um, but yeah, no, I'm still still just banging them out left, right and centre. So it's it's probably a weird thing for anybody to see. But yeah, I'm still still doing that. Oh, I love that. I thought that was a great quirky fact when I heard you when you when I heard you tell somebody about that. I just uh, I just like the pull-up or the chin-up as a you you can't be overweight, you can't be weak in it. And if you it exposes a lot of weaknesses if people can't do pull-ups. Um so that's why I kind of I think that's where I I've got my obsession from. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, where can people follow you on online on the social media powers that be? Um, probably Instagram is my main thing. So I actually use Instagram now as a um, almost a platform to show what we're doing at work. So it's not definitely not a personal Instagram. So it's just Ed Lee eighty seven, um, and I just try and post as much as possible about what the the guys are doing. The mainly the injured guys and just videos and a bit of information about. Um, their process and why we do certain things um so that's that's the best place to find me yeah so, that's really transparent of you as well and you've and thank you very much for being so transparent today on the show and um 
worries. given everybody a great insight to what you do and how you do it. No worries. I tend to blab a little bit, so some of it might not make sense, but hopefully it helps. No, it's been perfect. Um, I think we're on the clock there, mate. But yeah, fa- thanks again. And it's, it's been great to hear from you and find out a bit more about what you do. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Cheers, Ed. Cheers, Andy. Big thank you to Ed Lee for coming on the show today and walking us through both his and Harlequin's approach to physical prep and rehab within rugby. As usual, the episode will have show notes that you can find at informperformance.com. But don't forget, we can also be found on Twitter at InformPod or Instagram at InformPerformance. To give you a little spoiler alert and something to look forward to, next week you can listen to a conversation between myself and Lauren Johnson, the mental conditioning coach at the New York Yankees. Thanks for listening.